Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris you back on the mic, buddy from Melbourne, Australia. This is a, another big, big delivery. We don't even have to overpromise. We just we over deliver every time. All right, this one's no different. We have respected technologist and business leader Stephen Sinofsky, who's also an investor and advisor. He's a board partner in Andreessen Horowitz, so a heavy hitter. Also had a major career at Microsoft, most notably being the president of the Windows division through to 2012, uh, delivering two of their major releases for Windows, and as well as the creation of Microsoft Surface and Windows services, such as Outlook, OneDrive, and Identity. And he is chatting with our good friend, Aaron Levy, from Box, uh, the co-founder of the cloud, cloud-based content management and collaboration platform, Box. In case you're not familiar with it, where have you been? This is a Start Growing podcast um, that happens to be right around the corner from the um, Startup Grind NL, NL Theater for the Startup Grind Global Conference, which is uh, pretty handy for the Startup Grind Global team, where I have to convince people to fly 14 hours to Melbourne to join me at my conference. Still doing a big job of it. Still got all the big, big names coming down to Melbourne. Give me another two years, I'm going to put these embarrass these guys at HQ. That's what I live for. Fantastic. Enjoy the conversation. Cheers. Well, good to be here. We stand between everybody and what comes next. Oh, what, what are you? Uh, what are we? What are we doing later? I don't know. It's probably going to involve okay. fun and excitement. Well, it's good to be here. It's a big commute, so um, I, I do. Uh, uh, we, we made it. So we we met like. Uh, Six years ago, we have a fun introduction story where, where uh, one of the few uh, uses of the Facebook poke. Yeah. Where you poked I me. I poked on, you. Uh, you poked me on Facebook. You're like, this is unexpected. Uh, it was odd. <laughs> yep. And then you, you suggested we get together for, and I, I, I went and found it, for coffee, tea, or a salad. Oh, good. What, did we get any of those? Uh, no, because okay. I don't think either of us are big on no. the whole salad thing, okay. and okay. I wasn't really sure uh, what, what was up. So you uh, started the company in 2005 with, with Dylan, yep. your high school friend. Like, is her 2,000 employees today about? 500 million in revenue, uh, 27% growth year over year, um, 90,000 customers. Yep. So like two-thirds of the Fortune 500? Yes. Yep. All accurate. All accurate. Okay. <laughs> so why don't we, for, for context, let's, let's talk a little bit about Box and just the early, early funding experience. Like, how, how, did, how was private fundraising for you? How do you think it's changed with the companies you work with that are startups today? Uh, well, I think sort of changed. Actually, did anybody see uh, yesterday there's, a, I, I think, a $900 million Series B um, uh, <laughs> that was led by SoftBank? Um, so I'd say the funding environment's changed a little bit. Um, our, uh, so your view was smaller than that? You know, by, uh, by a factor of about, um, I guess, 30, 40 uh, <laughs> or so. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so, so we, um, so actually, if, if, anybody, if anybody ever feels stressed out about fundraising, and um, uh, do, I, do I have some stories for you? So um, we, um, we st- uh, our first round of funding, so we kind of had like this double round, um, the, but the first round, which was pure seed investors. Anybody want to guess what we raised? 
Any guesses? 200 what? No. <laughs> what, any other guesses? Try to get them to participate. Be uh, nice uh, at their guesses. Oh, okay, Don't fine, just... all right, fine, fine. Um, uh, thank you, sir, for that comment. Um, too, that's too high of a number, actually. Any, any other guesses? Okay, too many numbers. Okay, stop. So, um, all right. So that was, was a rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, maybe if like the first guess was right, I would have gone with it. But, but this is too complicated to survey this audience right now. So, um, it was eighty thousand dollars. We gave away a fourth of the company. Okay, good. Okay, here's some groans. Oh, okay, wow. good. So this is welcome to two thousand and five fundraising, yeah. uh, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, so we we uh, we started the company. Uh, the idea was. Let's build a really simple way to be able to share files from anywhere. It was like that simple of an idea. We launched it. It was called Box.net. We came to, uh, to uh, our, our home base, Seattle. Um, we were in college at the time. We, we, we uh, moved to Seattle. I mean, we, we lived in Seattle growing up. But for us, our, our summer vacation, we lived and worked in Seattle. And my co-founder and I, Dylan, um, we went to go and, and just raise money from anybody that would talk to us. And um, we had this massive disadvantage, though, uh, which was that Dylan, my CFO and, and co-founder, um, looked like he was 11 years old, and so oh, uh, and you at, yeah. at 14. <laughs> uh, I was I was like I looked like a good 16. Okay, <laughs> and from certain angles, I could actually play way older. So, um, so so he he looks like he's 11. He looks like we're gonna go off to Disneyland with the proceeds. So, really 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 difficult funding environment, and we pitched all of your friends, um, bunch of ex Microsoft folks. Everybody turned us down. Um, we went to the VCs, we went to the angel investors, everybody turned us down. In fact, actually, because, um, actually, it's, it's Stephen's fault. Um, uh, the, um, they were like, you guys will never be able to compete with, with Microsoft. And actually, Stephen was running most of the groups that, that we were actually trying to c uh, compete with at the time. And, um, and we even, <laughs> I don't think you know this, we actually... Um, oh, good, surprise me on stage. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. um, I, I, it's not as personal, but, but it, you'll, I think you'll, you'll <laughs> like it. So we were, we were just trying to pitch everybody. So we actually printed out a prospectus to our business plan and we dropped it off at Paul Allen's house um, uh, at his uh, gated driveway. And Paul Allen being you know, one of the co-founders of Microsoft. And we dropped it there. Nobody ever called us, um, obviously. Um, and then, but just to, just to add on top of that, <laughs> we faxed our, our prospectus also to Bill Gates because he had a public fax machine um, that he listed. Yeah, it's right next to his desk. <laughs> yeah, it's I thought, right next to the well, laptop. Well, yeah, what's yeah. funny is we actually imagined, like, okay, well, where would Bill Gates' fax machine be? Probably there's, like, a side room, but, like, maybe he's got some people that watch it. Yeah, there's a fax person. Yeah, like, the, the, fax, like yeah, the fax yeah. person. Um, Dedicated fax I mean, person. Microsoft had a lot of money. I figured that could be, in, you know, an actual job for somebody. Anyway, no response to that one either. So huh. everybody rejected us. Um, we, uh, we, we eventually got some kind of local real estate investors. They threw in some money. And then the big break was Mark Cuban, actually. Um, where, uh, where, where we, we ended up getting Mark to invest in us for about $300,000. And um, uh, lo and behold, the lesson actually was, um, uh, was Mark never met us uh, in person. So, um, so that was the only way that we probably would have been able to get funding um, was, him, was him not actually meeting me or Dylan. Um, so, uh, so that was, uh, I don't know if you can apply that lesson. Yeah, in I was going to help build yeah. on that, yeah. but I don't really I, know. I don't know what lesson to take from that. But really, really hard uh, to fundraise just because of the, the massive incumbent in Microsoft that we were, we were kind of trying to, to compete with and then other, other incumbents. Um, and uh, we got really you know, fortunate that we did get some angel investors um, that, that kind of rallied around the business and then, and then sort of started scaling up from there. And then uh, eventually dropped out of college, moved to the, the Bay Area, moved to the Valley, and, um, and then you know, raised and, uh, you know, some, some rounds from there. But like, back then, like, our Series A was, 
1.5 million and you would still you know you give up a fourth of the company for from a million and a half uh, bucks and so I think if I added up all of our fundraising rounds we probably sold about 400% of the company um, uh, if you just if you just do the math um, so it's an enterprise sales quota kind of thing yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah we exceeded quota of how much uh, equity we had to actually sell so um, I'm not sure uh, how that works well let's let's uh no way to leap off that, but let's, yeah. go, let's fast forward, um, because then, like a few years later, yeah. like a decade, you're, you're filing to go public. Yeah. So, so the interesting thing is, right when you began the process, you know, did you look at Dylan, look at the board, how did you feel? Like, did you feel like, yay, finally, or like, do we need to do this, or would we rather not be doing this? Like, what's that emotion, and what... what really goes into that? I think um, it's tough to say what, what goes into it for everybody because I, I think actually a lot of it depends on the origin of the company in many respects. Um, and in our case, the origin of the company was we were really just trying to solve an interesting problem. In fact, we, we, we largely, I mean, frankly, we just, we, we I mean, uh, only probably three or four years in did we actually really think like we might have a business here. Um, and we got, I mean, we, we had done maybe five or 10 different ideas, startup ideas, projects over the years in high school and then, and then early in college. And so we never really had any form of success. So, so like, like I, I mean, what we got really, really good at uh, over the years in, in building up startup ideas was, was we, we perfected the art of shutting down projects. Um, and like, that was like, like, okay, try out a new idea, launch a, launch a website, nobody signs up, okay, we'll shut that down, we'll try again. So like, it was very unusual to have real success. Our first, our first idea in, in college uh, with, with, with the same kind of, uh, one of the co-founders of Vox was we had this really, really fast website, uh, really, really fast search engine. And, um, and it was really, really incredibly fast as long as you had never been to Google. And so it was like, that was like the level of idea that we, we were operating off of. So, so we never thought we'd be successful. And so we only started uh, technology ideas because we really wanted to solve an interesting problem. And, and sort of we, we got kind of right place, right time with a whole series of technology tailwinds that we were able to ride. And so by the time we were going public, this was just a this was just a, a a sort of financial moment on the journey where you change your stockholders and you 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 sort of you know uh, it's obviously a liquidity event for employees and for investors but it's really just a changing of the corporate structure but it wasn't like we were you know we weren't when we were 23 and you know and and kind of living and working in a in our building we weren't ever saying like man like wouldn't it be exciting yeah. to go public one day like that was that was not on our list we were just let's just let's just try and keep this thing afloat and, and continue this journey of being able to, to build cool technology and solve you know, real problems. Well, I think that's super cool because I, I think like too many people often discuss IPO as sort of the destination. And so thinking of it as part of the journey and also reflecting on this, you know, getting really good at shutting things down. Yeah. Like what, what would you think of like that what, as you were going through the process, would you do differently now or would you undo or something like that? I think, um, well, there's a lot, lot of lessons that, that I would have kind of executed on, on earlier. And what, what I want to just definitely confirm is that, that IPOing is not a destination. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is like um, uh, the very opposite of what happens. The moment you IPO, your world changes and, and you're now starting, you're actually starting like a very different, you know, very real journey because of the, the just the change in the, the capital structure of the business and, and the investor base. And so, so it is, it is merely a milestone for like, for like one hour. It's like cool to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. Um, uh, although technically actually, if you, if you end up screwing up the bell ring, it still rings anyway. So it's like, even that is kind of like not that important. Well, on CNBC, so, it looks like they yeah. start trading even before they, the bell they, rings. They, I don't it's even, I don't confusing. think it's plugged into anything. So, um, uh, <laughs> So like there are these cool milestone moments, but like but like other than that, like you're back in business. Like one hour after you know filing, 
like going public, we were just like, okay, we, like, we got to go sell some software now. Um, so, uh, but along the way, I think a lot of journey, a lot of lessons uh, for, for us, especially if you're in enterprise, um, you know, we, we, we but, but I think this is true for, for any business. I mean, the big, the big takeaways I would have is, um, uh, is we took too long to make sure that, that we, we took, we, we pivoted the company when we were sort of consumer, we went enterprise, probably took a, a year or two too long to do that. We, we pivoted about two and a half years in. I mean, if, if I could go back and we could have done that in six months, um, that would have been incredible because we would have been that much farther along in our, our journey. I think that... Um, we, I, I sort of rationalized that we had to raise as much money as we did, and we raised four or five hundred million dollars um, uh, in the in the private market, um, and then eventually going public. I, I rationalized that we had to raise that much. I think that there are probably some things in our business model that we could have done earlier on to focus on cash flow, and and really kind of making sure the economics of the business allowed us to pull cash in early. Um, and so I think that that I would have done that a little bit differently to to make the profile of the business, and we would have sort of dealt with a lot less pain maybe in the, in the kind of public markets and the, the press. Um, and so I think that, that, you know, those are some of the things that I would, I would definitely kind of have done differently over the years. But in some sense, I, what I think just is interesting too is that that pain you mentioned in the press about cash flow and, I mean, you know, other than Salesforce, they, the, that investor world hadn't really seen this yeah. SaaS model and this, you know, customer acquisition. Like they, they think of it as like, oh, that's what magazines did. Yeah. They never really applied it to software. Well, so the, the business model that, that if you're in enterprise and it's going well, that is very attractive is you might spend a lot of money in terms of your sales force or building out the R&D to build a, 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 you know, hopefully a durable platform. And you might spend a lot of money to acquire a customer. Maybe you'll spend $3 for every dollar of, of, of immediate revenue. But if that customer is successful with your product, you might have them for 10 years. And so who wouldn't pay $3 to get a, a $10 uh, return? And so those are the kind of economics that were fundamental to our business model. The problem is, is that depending on exactly where in that journey you go public, as an example, uh, you might not have enough of a, a, a sort of core base of customers that sort of show that those are the economics in a long-term enough way where, where, where investors uh, can actually say, okay, this makes sense, let's scale it out. It, private investors tend to be able to do that because you can actually spend the time to say, let's just look at like, like one or two cohorts, uh, you know, right, one, right. one year of, of, of customers from 2010 and then another year after 2011, how does that show up over time? Public markets don't either get that much data or they don't necessarily have all of the sort of, yeah, uh, uh, you know, the, the, for, the formats or the venues to be able to do that. So, so you think that this, this lesson then also, it does apply to your Series B and your Series C as you're, you're going through it. It's not just a switch to public market. Yeah, but I think that the, uh, I, you know, I think uh, overall we, the reason why we invested so much early on was, was we saw this window of opportunity. I think this is definitely a, a, a kind of takeaway on our end um, where, um, so Jim Collins um, in his book, I don't know if it's good to great or, or one of the follow-ups, he, he sort of um, kind of has this idea that basically um, you want to compound your luck and, and sort of, there are like lucky people and unlucky people for sure. But like, if you're lucky, like the, the, the big difference is like you, you, you make sure you compound the lucky moments and then you get more lucky because more things open up. And so, um, so what we, we kind of said, like when we started the company, we started the company because we saw mobile was gonna be this trend. We thought it was gonna be Blackberries, but like it was mobile. Um, we saw that people were gonna be working and uh, using applications in browsers. Uh, Firefox had just launched and we said, holy shit, you can have rich applications in your browser. We saw the cost of storage was going down pretty dramatically, so actually you could really scale a business in this space and then the internet was getting faster. So, so four mega trends 
that every single year, each of those trends was sort of doubling in some kind of, uh, 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 kind of dimension, right. either performance or volume of customers in the world that were doing that. So if you could have four megatrends of more people in the world, more, better economics, uh, you know, better experience for your product, and you can ride that, then, then that's something to really kind of capitalize, capitalize on. We didn't know at that moment that those trends were going to be so powerful, but they became incredibly powerful. So the moment we basically said, okay, we, we have the right product, we're scaling in the enterprise, all of a sudden CIOs of, of large corporations are calling us and, and saying, actually, we want what you have. Like That was a fundamental shift in, in our, our kind of journey of product market fit. And then that was maybe about four or five years in. The iPhone had launched, the iPad had launched. So then we said, okay, there's a window of opportunity. And this window, because we know for a fact this is going to be the future of technology, people are not going to buy you know, data centers and, and infrastructure on their, in their own data center. They're going to move to the cloud. If we don't strike during this window of opportunity, right. someone else is going to win. And the moment we had that, that kind of reaction, that aha, we just said, OK, we're going to spend as much money as necessary to win in this market. And then we just kept, you know, kept raising capital, kept, kept building technology, kept hiring a sales force to make sure we could scale up the business. But that was because we felt like that window of opportunity was going was gonna to shrink and we had to uh, go and strike. But one of the things you said was, was, was that you know, cloud and mobile and browser, but you didn't, you didn't have any insight in those other than the bet on them. But those four things were available to everybody else. Yeah. So at some point, you, you, you could have product market fit, but you also have to have some moat or some sustainable advantage. When did you realize that? What is it? What do you, how do you describe that? I think um, uh, core to pivoting from being a largely consumer, but really just personal uh, company, so focused on personal productivity, whether that was consumer or business, um, we saw this, this trend happening where people were bringing us into the enterprise on their own volition. And, and, and sort of that was right around when the phrase kind of consumerization of IT started to emerge. And, um, and obviously, you know, I think one of the most profound changes in enterprise IT today. But this was back in 2007, and we would see people bring Box into, into their organizations and, and shadow IT and kind of you know, download it or start using it on their own end. And we said, OK, we, we, we have to decide what kind of business model do we want. Do we want to go consumer or do we want to go enterprise? We looked at the consumer economics, and, and we, saw, we sort of saw, OK, at some point, uh, uh, because of the same trends that why we started the company, storage is getting cheaper, internet's getting faster, all of these things, the consumer incumbents, Google, Microsoft, et cetera, were going to want to give away a tool for free that would capture everybody's data because they could monetize it via ads, they could monetize it selling devices, they could monetize it through other kind, some other means. We were all over that. You were all over that. All over it. Yeah, free. Um, <laughs> free, yeah. So, so that, but that was, that was our fear, right? Was, yeah, that, yeah. was that the same dynamic was going to then benefit the big incumbents. So we said in the consumer space, this space is going to get commoditized. Conversely, in the enterprise market, we said, oh shit, like actually companies spend tens of billions of dollars a year buying infrastructure, hardware, and software in their own data center that they have to manage, and it's way too clunky, way too complicated. And, um, and, and so we, we sort of said, OK, we're, what we're kind of doing is there, sort of this disruptive idea. Um, if you follow kind of Clayton Christensen and Innovator's Dilemma, it's sort of core disruptive innovation, which is, which is we were doing something that was actually, you know, hopefully looked like a toy to the folks at Microsoft. Uh, hopefully, you know, if you're doing things right, your incumbent is kind of saying, that thing could never solve a real business problem. And so then you, you're able to kind of slip by the big incumbent. And we said, OK, actually, we probably look like, like almost just like this file attachment tool in the cloud. And I don't think anybody's going to pay attention to that. So what we could do is get virally adopted in an enterprise and then sell people a, a much more sort of sophisticated enterprise offering. And, and that would be our business model. 
And, and key to that transition of, of pivoting to the enterprise was figuring out what were our asymmetric advantages versus the big incumbents. And this was viral end user adoption. So it was a tool that people would bring in instead of one that you'd have to sell. It was the focus on neutrality. So we knew that if we could plug into the other technology that that customer had, then that would give us this, this sort of neutral position that, that hopefully big incumbents wouldn't be able to replicate. And then one thing we did, um, which, which has kind of gotten matched over time, was we said, we'll also give the enterprise unlimited storage because yeah. we just want to get the licenses. We don't really care about how much data you use. So we actually went after the business model that we didn't think could be replicated by the incumbents. So you kind of add those things up, and that, that, that gave us a five, six, seven-year head start in the enterprise. But it was about getting really, really crisp on what things do we think are going to be asymmetric advantages for, for box early on versus incumbents. And you should really, especially if you're building a startup, you should really think to yourself, is what I'm doing something that an incumbent isn't doing just because they haven't seen it yet? But the moment that they see what I'm doing, they'll just basically put a team on this or they'll replicate it with their own engineers. Or is what I'm doing something that's going to be incredibly and excruciatingly hard for an incumbent to do? Because they're going to make less money if they copy me. They're not going to, they don't have the DNA or the resources or the, the internal uh, ability to go and deliver this. And so being really, really crisp on what is your competitive advantage. You don't have a moat yet, to be clear, because you don't have any customers. So, so we didn't have a moat. But we, we had an asymmetric advantage that would let us kind of exploit the window long enough to then eventually build a moat. Um, and, and, and that was sort of the idea. But, but really getting crisp on what are you doing that incumbents can't do, not because they don't want to, but because they fundamentally would be too hard and be too painful for them to go out and replicate. Yeah, that structure. Like one thing that we always saw was uh, how um, you, if you're doing something that lands between two organizations, yes. like find two vice presidents that care about your product, and they'll just spend all their energy fighting about it, yes. and they'll just leave you alone. But that, that's that's uh, probably the most fundamental thing you'll hear, at least in this conversation, is that idea. Is Thank you. The org, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, the org design of your incumbent or your competitor, you should understand. And you should figure out who has the incentive to copy you, who, who is not, does, does have any form of incentive to, to make that work, and ideally, their own chaos of the incumbent that you're going after, where nobody could actually go in and, and, and figure out how to, how, to, uh, how to attack the space. This is why you see a lot of markets right now that are so, have so much disruption potential in things like banking and other sectors, where you look at the actual design of the organizations that you're attacking, and it's, it's pretty obvious, like if you were, if you were a very large Fortune you know, 50 bank and, and there was a massive digital threat, you might have this council of like 30 or, or parts of your organization that you would have to like figure out how do you actually even go and respond to uh, that external threat based on your own internal dynamics. And, and again, being able to find these sort of slower moving, bureaucratic organizations, ideally those that, that maybe are more political in nature, uh, those are gonna be areas where you're gonna be able to you know, truly disrupt uh, that, that company. So maybe just like one thing that you said that I thought was super interesting was when you were very early as a as a startup, you were really good at like ramping things up and shutting them down. And you you say today that you know your company, you've said to me like that you still operate a lot like a startup. Do you have that attribute, or are there other attributes of operating like a startup that you continue to embrace? I think the probably the biggest thing that I think of is is, is sort of startup like a speed, um, and and it's it's harder because we're at about two thousand people, and and it's and the customers that we serve are obviously in regulated industries, and so there's a certain sort of tension of like how much speed can you have when when you're working with a pharmaceutical you know company or a, or a healthcare provider uh, because they they have their own pace that they want to operate at. So 
anybody serving enterprises has the tension of, of you want to be startup-like uh, in terms of your, the speed of execution, because that's how you're going to ultimately be disruptive. But at the same time, your customer base has, has their, their own conservatism. So, um, but, but at the highest level, I would say speed. And then, and then probably the ability to, um, uh, probably our organization uh, needs to, and when we're at our best, has the ability to move on a dime when, well, when we know kind of that, that what we're doing isn't working and when we have to, when we kind of get insight into what we need to do next. So I, I have no qualms about changing an entire strategy of an organization in an hour once, if we have an aha moment that sort of says, holy shit, like what we've been doing is completely wrong and we have to pivot. And so you're, you're sort of making these sequence of small pivots all the time and some are really, really big and fundamental to like your pricing or your business model or how you serve your customers. And then a lot of the ones are just the daily occurrences of like constantly iterating, constantly changing. So the better you get now at, at, at those pivots and being able to see oh, okay, oh crap, this is actually where the company is to go and then, and then orient the company toward that, that that's going to you know, ultimately uh, train you well down the road. Now, the big tension, of course, is you have to be right about those pivots because the difference between a pivot that works uh, and a pivot that doesn't is, is effectively thrash. And a pivot that doesn't work is you're just thrashing the organization. And so early on when we were trying to discover our business model before we would pivot to the enterprise, we you know, pivoted the company almost once a week of like, let's try that business model, let's try that. Uh, really, we were just kind of iterating live, but that's, that would be thrashy at our scale. Right, um, right. And so, so the key is you have to have an insane amount of conviction that, that, that you know, that a pivot is, is sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, required for, for what you need to do. And then, you know, hopefully your, your, your job is to be as, you know, have a high probability of, of how, how much you're right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Super okay. fun. Okay. Thanks, everybody. All right, thank you. <laughs>